Now, back to Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio on ESPN Las Vegas. Thursday, time to bring in National College Football Insider Michael Felder from Learfield from Bleacher Report. Uh, let's start out with the CFP. I want to get into uh, any issues you have, but uh, for those of us who live in Mountain West country, boy, that Air Force loss hurts in the Mountain West case against Tulane and probably screws the whole conference, right? Yeah, that's what I was. <laughs> I was I was going to kick off with that, anyways. Like that one's tough because that Air Force, like that loss, is tough, and they, you know, and it wasn't even it wasn't close. Like they weren't even on the same planet as Army in that football game. So I was someone who was saying that they should have been right ahead of Tennessee, and then all of a sudden they go out there and get their brains beat in. And now, what are we looking at? The best? I mean, you guys are probably the best case scenario, right, for the Mountain West? Is that right? I think Fresno is. Um, obviously, whoever is uh, in the running is going to have to sweep their way uh, the rest of the season, win the Mountain West Conference title. And I also think that UNLV and Boise have yeah. to just crush Air Force to send that message like, you know what, they just weren't that good. Yeah, you got to take care of business. But the, the tough thing is Wyoming. The good thing is Wyoming at home, fantastic. Way better than going there. Yes. <laughs> Way better than going <laughs> to living there. living hell. And then Air Force and obviously San Jose State. So we'll see what that looks like. And then, um, yeah, it's just you just got to take care of business. So this is going to be an interesting one. And, and how this shakes out is going to be really interesting. But Air Force losing that game really took a little bit of wind out of the sails. So with the CFP, I don't have any specific issues because, again, uh, this is going to work itself out to a certain right. extent. But I, I did look at what you said last week with Bama just kind of lurking, kind of sneaking. And I saw on your newsletter, it's Felder at Substack, you said your favorite is Alabama. Not to win the title, but they've just become this year your personal favorite story. Yeah, I love watching this football team. And and the big part for me, uh, Cofield, is I like I like seeing people do their job well. Like, do you eat sushi? I do. Okay, so you like to watch a sushi chef work. Yes, well, right? yes, of course, yes. It's the same thing with watching a master baker. It's the same reason that Top Chef is one of the best reality shows on television. This is my Top Chef, is watching Nick Saban coach. He's the best. He's the best in my lifetime. He's the best, I think, that has ever done it. This man is coaching this football team. Other teams, he's guiding, right? He's guiding, advising. This, he's coaching. This is like watching a pilot um, actually fly a plane, not just set everything and then click on autopilot. This is a guy who's, he's not on autopilot right now. He is fully coaching this team. And I think that means a lot. And that's why they're my favorite, because he gets to actually coach a team. Michael Felder is with us from Millerfield and Bleacher Report. I want to talk Caleb Williams, because I always find this um, interesting. Uh, there's a lot of hypocrites out there about, Showing passion, but then also being a pansy if you cry. Oh, man. Uh, a lot of the talk around Caleb Williams was he's a puss for crying and talking about Ooh. wanting to cuddle with his dog. Um, and also then flipping it to, you know, and I wouldn't take him number one now after I saw that. I'm not going to take him with the NFL number one pick. I I, I think Caleb Williams demonstrated what, po- what people are supposed to love about sports, right? That it matters to them. Mm-hmm. Like this is basically the complete polar opposite of Nikola Jokic, right? Where Jokic and I listen, Jokic, I love him. He is my favorite NBA player right now because he does not care and it does not bother him. 
but it clearly bothers Caleb Williams. So you don't get to talk out of one side about a guy caring this much and then also talk about a guy not caring enough. Yep. And that's the part I don't understand. Like how much is he supposed to care versus how much can he not care? All that stuff. But at the end of the day, the thing I look at and I wrote my college essay to UNC about this. And we had a, I think it was Frost poem. And it was about, can you go home again? And home should always, in, in my mind, home should always be a place that you can go. And for him, home, obviously it's not California, but home for him is his mom. And if you can go back to your mom and your mom's going to console you when you feel like you're in your darkest day, your darkest moment, the moment that you didn't think was going to happen, that's a place, that's a safe haven. And so I appreciated that. Yeah. I cried after every football game that I ever lost. And oh, wow. it, it hurt a lot. Like, because you pour your time, your effort, your energy into it. And it hurt. And then we also, like, you see guys, there's tears of joy. There's tears of agony, which is what he was probably going through. There's tears when we see guys get injured. And it's one of those things for me that, like, I don't know. I'm 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 as I'm as I'm as mad as you are at these people that are saying that one he shouldn't go number one overall. I think there's a reason he shouldn't go number one overall, but I don't think it's because of this. I think right. if a guy cares this much about winning a game for you, that's a good thing, not a negative. Yep. Uh, can USC get off the deck, go to Oregon and play a competitive game and potentially pull off the upset? No. What? <laughs> no. This Oregon <laughs> team is good, man. They. They're not playing around with people. And that's just, I love Dan Lanning up for it. Like, obviously, we saw the Coach Prime, the speech before the Colorado game. They're playing for clicks. We're playing for wins. And he's got a lot of that Kirby smart dog in him where he just wants to, he wants to beat the wheels off you. And obviously, they didn't get it done against Washington. But every other time, it's scary how, how bad they are beating people. So this is going to be a really interesting football game. I think this is less of a question for... USC getting off the deck and more a question of is Oregon going to stumble or slip knowing what they have in this back half of November? Is the gap between Florida state and Miami this big? It's over a two touchdown spread. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. It Florida, is? Yeah. I was talking to uh Roddy Jones and Eric McLean from uh, the ACC network and they were like, Florida, they, they basically, they said Florida State's that kid that like hides their Halloween candy. And then after you're all done with your Halloween candy, they break it out and they're like, look what I got, buddy. <laughs> like they're, they, I, we, we, we're all, we, the three of us expect Florida State to really turn it on in this back half. The Miami game, we know they got a cupcake, then the Florida game, and then the ACC championship game. Those three games, they're going to turn it on and go crazy. Michael Felder's with us. Make sure you sign up for his It's Felder at Substack.com. He does work for Learfield's College Sports Now and Bleacher Report. Um, this is kind of deep divey, but I'm fascinated by it. The comeback and bump up by Oklahoma State is pretty impressive. Obviously, oh, the running back has been ridiculous. Yet, the Big 12, and I think this is the future of the Big 12, the Big 12 is so balanced that you've got a 1-5 in five Central Florida team in the Big 12 at home only getting two and a half against Okie State. Yeah, this is a team that's won what, five games in a row. And most of them by wide margin. And, or, 
Let's we eight points. Okay, yeah. So they're two a couple double double digit wins and then some single digit wins. But the point is they know who they are now and they understand how to win and they understand who they are. This UCF team, the problem for UCF is I don't think they know what they're doing. <laughs> and that's the thing. And we are talking about a team that's their backs are against the wall with respect to UCF. Because they, they want to still get to a bowl game and they are four and five football team and they got to figure out how to do it. But no, for me, when I look at um this game, I think UCF is probably a more athletically talented football team. But Oklahoma State understands what they are in a better way. And that's why I think Oklahoma State's gonna get the win. They it took them see, four weeks, five weeks, and then they figured out who they are, and now that's what they're doing. You know, we talked Ole Miss, the fact that they're in the mix with a nice record uh, right now in the CFP. They're sitting at nine, and this is the control-your-own-destiny moment. If they can win against Georgia, then all of a sudden they're a a real player. What do they need to do to win this game? So I think what – this is the way that I think about football, Cofield, and this is why I love Lane Kiffin. The Arkansas-Auburn-Vanderbilt and A&M game – that's where Lane Kiffin is doing all his homework to build to towards this Georgia game. That Judkins touchdown uh, on in the Rudd game where he bisects the defense, Kirby Smart's trying to figure out how to stop that. Lane Kiffin's never going to run it. I'll show you the same formation, but he's going to run a sprint out or a speed out, or he's going to run a, a quarterback run for dart, something like that. Not the thing that you thought you were going to see. Smart's players are smart. Not to be like, you know, redundant, but at the end of the day, his guys, they watch film. They latch on to your tendencies. They know what's going to happen. This is a five-game win streak for Ole Miss. Those analysts, those coaches have poured over everything that Ole Miss has done from Alabama to LSU to Arkansas, Auburn, Vandy, and A&M. And now Lane Kiffin's like, oh, don't worry. They're going to be ready for this. So you know what we're going to do? Not that, but we're going to make it look like that. And that's the part. That's how he wins this football game. We got Penn State and Michigan. Um, I've heard the narrative. James Franklin can't be trusted in big games. This is a tight one. They're getting four. They're at home. This is, again, one of those turning point moments. Need to win this game, but I don't know if they do. I I think they lose. I just don't. I like Chop Robinson. I, I think Drew Aller is not who they thought he was going to be. I mean, you look at him in their last big game, they scored 12 points. It's not good. 12 points? Ooh. Hey, you threaten for one more score, basically. So when I look at this game, I think what we're going to really end up with is a, a Michigan team that gets to keep doing what they like to do. And by that, I mean, just run the ball, run the ball some more, then run the ball a little bit more, and then keep running and run more and run, and just you get the point. Uh, so I, I, I just – Penn State's defense is going to be exhausted. Their offense – I just don't think their offense is good enough to challenge the teams that we consider to be – the defenses specifically that we consider to be in that top tier of defense. I, and it's not just – it's not just Michigan. We saw it against Ohio State already. But even if we're if we're going to talk about like a Clemson, a Georgia, an Alabama, if we're going to talk about um, 
I, I wonder what 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 this what an like the Iowa game we saw what that looked like, but that wasn't their defense. It wasn't their offense being good. It was their that Iowa's <laughs> Iowa's offense is so bad. <laughs> nothing you could do about it. And so you, at at some point somebody has to score. And Penn State was the recipient of that. But when I look at this, I do look at the the reality that like like Penn State versus Utah becomes an interesting game to me. Penn State against Oregon is an interesting game to me because I just don't think their offense is where you need it to be. They don't have those pieces on offense that they've had in the past, and that's the problem. On the Michigan side, you don't think at some point the players succumb to the outside noise about this cheating scandal? Um, No. Okay. I know. I, because it's not. it has nothing to do with them, you know? Like it has nothing sure? to do with them. I, you think they're sending? Or they're not paying for this guy's flights. They're not sending him out to get that. Yeah, they're getting the information. But every week, Cofield, every week you get a packet of tendencies, of play calls, favorite plays, best formations, percentages of when they run out of this versus what they run out of that. So this isn't different to them. For them, I don't like. I truly think these players they have no clue. They're like, oh, cool. So when they do this, we do this. Okay, got it. Right. So I don't think the players are. They're just like, I, I, you know what? Maybe like, do you think they second guess themselves? Like, I, that's I, I just were I just we wonder, that good or did we just know it was going to happen? Exactly. That's like a you good, want, you, yeah, wonder good. if they're processing it now. Like, my God, that was pretty incredible. That we seem to know like sixty percent of the plays in this particular game. But the same here's the thing though: Nicobe Dean doesn't have this happening, or not that we know of. And Nicobe Dean was calling out Michigan's plays in that semifinal game two years ago. Yeah. So, listen, if you're a smart player, you can figure it out. Uh, how about the notion that I think – who are they pinning it on? Um, that Ohio State and Rutgers may be feeding other schools Michigan signs as revenge. Yeah, I don't – I mean, yeah, I get that. Like, I mean, we've seen it in MLB. We've seen yeah. it – like, it's – I get it. Like – I want these guys to lose. So any way we can make them lose, let's let them lose. And like, that's, uh, Hey man, uh, it's just, it's, it, it's not, I think this is kind of the muddy dirty side of football that folks don't think about, but like, especially like, here's a, okay, let me, I'll put it this way to you. Got a friend in the NFL, work for the Patriots, work for the Patriots. And this is post, this is after Spygate, after Spygate. He he was like, oh, we were when we weren't in the Super Bowl. Depending on who was in the Super Bowl, we were working on that game to make sure that the guy, like a friend of a friend, could like get it. Oh wow! Like they like they're like, oh no, I I'll, what do you you need me to like? Because it's like bonus work for them, right? Like it's yeah. like, oh, I'm not in the playoff anymore. My team's already done. I'll do a little extra work and look at this and figure out a way for you guys to make hay and how can you how can you beat this team what can you do what do we do against this team we saw it in the big 12 as well with teams talking about TCU like it's not it's not weird uh last one let's let's talk about the sport where the elite of the elite teams are really bought and paid for via NIL LSU Women, I deem them before the season the greatest collection of female basketball players in the history of the game. Kim Mulkey came out with an awesome suit on, all Vegas up. Yep, and they and they lose. Yep. Um, 
You're actually going to see – are you going to see Caitlin Clark? Yeah, I'm going to see Kay- – I, listen, I am going to see her. I am – Mulkey, that was I love her suits. I think I think her she's got swag for days in terms of her dressing. I don't know if she's a good person or not, but I love how she dresses. And yeah, I'm gonna go see um, I'm gonna watch Iowa against Virginia Tech tonight. We're having a date night where we're we're gonna go out for dinner and we're gonna go ahead and um then we're gonna go watch the game. Thanks to my shout out to my guy who works for the Charlotte Sports Foundation. Nice. But yeah, we're gonna go watch this and I'm super excited. And this is it's gonna be fun. I mean, they're what are they, number three in the country and we we're a women's basketball household. We watch we watch women's hoops. And they hoop, and it, it doesn't matter if it's Asia or it's it's plum it's uh, uh Kelsey it's plum like it doesn't matter. Like we watch like we're we watch this like we watch it, and it's not just because we have a daughter, but it's just because they they really hoop for real. And I want to make sure that I'm adding at least a little bit to the ratings. Felder, you rule. Have a good time. We'll talk to you next week. All right, man. You take it easy. Now. Back to Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. We came in and uh, we were on our heels all night. Unfortunately, that's that's what happens. Uh, we were just a little timid. Really nothing left to do at this point, but I'm going to watch film, get back in the gym tomorrow, and figure out how we can uh, get better for Saturday. But I've, I've still got a positive outlook for this group. I've still got positive uh, the, the mentality for the year, for the rest of it. I think this is a group that will figure it out, will bounce back. But uh, yeah, right now it's a little bit of a, a, little bit of a shock. Kevin Kruger, Running Rebels head coach, last night on Running Rebel Wrap-Up with former UNLV player Curtis Terry and 20-year play-by-play man John Sandler. 85-71 loss to Southern. So what does this loss mean? Um, First of all, UNLV better hope and pray that Southern is at least a top 250 team in the net. And doesn't sink below 250, and they better. It'd be real nice if they were top 200. I don't think they're going to be. Mm-hmm. It seemed like a pretty decent team, but they also got trounced two nights before by TCU. Um, now, positive is they actually play a lot of Power Five, you know, upper level teams on their schedule. Do you have your look up their schedule real quick? Because I know they play Arizona next. UNLV or Southern? Southern. The Southern. Okay. Yes. Uh, by the way, 273 currently in the Ken Palm rankings. So yeah. So not amazing. Uh, so after UNLV, they're going to play Arizona, as you mentioned. Uh, and it's part of that. You guys mentioned it on the broadcast, but all of these away games. Western Illinois, then Illinois, Valparaiso, Marquette, Mississippi State, Southeastern Louisiana. Right. That's the home Solid, game. Solid, but not great. Mm-hmm. But UNLV needs to hope that they're top three team in the SWAC. Yeah. And I that mean, still may have them below 250. They're probably going to get their teeth kicked in quite a bit, considering that they're playing, what, uh, one, two, three, four, and then if you include their loss to TCU, five top 30 teams. So, all right. Damon, you officially went with uh, 19 wins on the regular season yesterday, or did you go lower? 18? Now he's going to keep going down after that. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking about it, but no, that's Steve, a I picked nine. Yeah, right. <laughs> 19, 19, right? Yeah. A loss yesterday kind of puts a dent in that, but. Our, uh, yeah, you need a, you need a makeup victory like they need to take out um, Florida State. They probably need to win the Daytona tournament, and uh, they probably need to, at worst, split with Creighton and St. Mary's. Creighton, I, Creighton is here at DLC, and St. Mary's is in the Phoenix. I mean, if we're really overreacting, you got to have a makeup win, right? And if we're really overreacting to this, like the, the game against Akron, doesn't really look like a circle it up either. So, yeah, they can't lose any any more of the uh, games with teams that are below them. At least at the beginning of the season, and uh, you know each with each bad loss means I think you got to up your win total in the Mountain West Conference. So mm-hmm. I think eleven is the minimum to be in the running for a tourney berth. 
probably closer to 12 now. Um, is the season over? No, they, they played a bad game. They played a really bad first half, and they just could not recover, and they made a little run inside of 10 minutes to get a little bit closer, but it's a loss. Uh, Mike Romala, Las Vegas Sun, actually picked 24-6, and six, so he was very bullish. He could still be right. He could still be right. I saw somebody respond to him like, this aged well, and I wanted to respond with, yep, you're 0-1. You can never win 24 games right. when you start 0-1. Season's over. <laughs> like, look, do I think it's going to happen? No. Yeah. Of all the outcomes you simulated a thousand times, I think that happens very few times. Your, but, uh, your boy, Matt Newmans, who covered college basketball forever, mm-hmm. um, sent me something to the effect of, like, well, what are the excuses? Give me the positives. Matt, you've been in the business for 30-plus years. Chill. Well, I think he's probably approaching it from a betting standpoint, right. so he probably wants to know if he can come back on, on them on Saturday. I don't know what the number Stetson. is. Um, I mean, I would guess. What would you guess? Because I can tell you. No, I'm not going to guess. I'm not going to guess the number, but I would guess – that they should come out with their hair on fire. I mean, if they play a lackluster game against Stetson, that's a problem. Uh, I would project because the betting market just kind of takes Ken Palm numbers and spits them back out. Uh-huh. They're going to be around an eight-point favorite with a total of 150. Okay. Um, some some positives, or if you want to use them as excuses, they didn't have Caleb Boone, who is like their best inside defender. Shane Noel will be back eventually. I thought we saw good growth from DJ Thomas. Mm-hmm. Five turnovers in the first half. He got sped up, and they made some really sloppy passes, some over-penetration where he got the ball stripped away from him. He's still playing with an injured left hand, but his, the stroke actually looked pretty good in the second half. He nailed a couple threes. He finished with 15 points. He didn't have any turnovers. Um, and he locked 37 or 38 minutes, which I, I thought – I kept saying in the, uh, the preseason that, hey, if you get 25 to 27 minutes out of DJ Thomas on an average, I guess that's not the plan because that's – now that's the, the the downside of that is, do they have confidence in their backup point guards? Because they they took Thomas out for like a minute and a half the whole game, two minutes, and they went with a lineup with Justin Webster and, and Jackie Johnson. And I remember saying it on TV. I'm like, well, I like two point guards. Um, and then Jackie made a, a couple of passes where you're like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like through a you know a low skidding jump uh, or what's it called bounce pass into the corner turnover. So. You gotta have a backup point guard, otherwise, you've got 18 year old who you know DJ Thomas is gonna get the crap beat out of him all season long. Like he got hit a bunch of times last night. That's gonna be the plan to knock him around. Jackie Johnson reminds me of a basketball version of Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite. So you know how he's like, I bet you I could throw this basketball over the mountains over there. Like it's kind of like the same thing where it's just like, I bet you I could fit that pass right there, or I bet you I could take this shot right here and hit it. And sometimes he does. But there's other times where you just like you gotta you gotta play within what we're talking about here. He won the game for him last year, yep. not single handedly, but it went to overtime, right? Mm-hmm. At, at uh, Reno, mm-hmm. he was amazing because Keyshawn Gilbert got booted in that game because did he headbutt someone? I think that was. I think it, that's right? what it was. Yeah, but that's why I mean with him, like there's there's peaks and valleys, right? There's high points yep. and the highs are pretty high, and then there's low points where you're watching like the game yesterday and you're like, like we can't we can't do all of that all the time. So Thomas, you know, local top twenty five kid in the country. Plays 38, finishes with 15 points and five assists. And after the game, uh, both uh, Justin Webster is the first voice you will hear. And Isaiah Cottrell also spoke about the youngin. I mean, DJ still has a lot to learn. Um, I feel like he still had a great debut um, for a freshman. Um, he learned early. I mean, college basketball is hard. It's hard to win games in, in, in college, you know, no matter who you play. Um, I tell people all the time, I feel like the skill level is catching up. Ten years ago, these would just be blowout games, but now that the skill level is catching up, these are pretty good games. So for him, it's just continue to learn. He'll be he'll be great. He'll be the DJ Thomas that you all know and, know and love, and um, um, he'll only continue to get better. 
I mean, it's just a big learning lesson. You know, we all go through it. But yeah, you're just going to learn from it, just like Webb said. Uh, we just, we all, we all try to help him every day and, you know, keep his confidence up. And this is, a, this is definitely a time to keep his confidence up. So There you go. Ice, Isaiah Cottrell. That was one of the positives of the game. Yes. His defense was pretty solid. He actually wound up with four blocks. I don't really think of him as a true rim protector, but turned in four blocks. And he's got stretch elements. He made two of his four threes. And a guy who has not played in, you know, in any kind of minutes in hundreds and hundreds of days finished up with 18 and 7. That's a good, I'll call it a debut because essentially it was. Well, I was surprised too. So he got to the free throw line, what, 12 times, yeah. I think. So that was one of the big things too. As, as a stretch big, you kind of think, oh, you're not going to draw Soft. contact. Yeah, right. but but he does. Now, I guess the if we're criticizing or whatever it is, he hit both of his he hit both of his threes pretty early, and then after that, didn't really hit anything, and he only took four attempts overall. So maybe you want to see a little bit more of that. But I, I was pleasantly surprised from Cruchel, especially when you talk about last season. And all last season was kind of just like, is he? Will he? What's he going to look like? And then you finally get to see him out there, and it is something that you expected. So that was really good. I also will say, I know maybe it was the phrasing of the question. I didn't hear the question, obviously, media. Because listening to them both talk about DJ Thomas, it sounded like he had like a terrible game. It's like, oh, he'll learn, he'll get it. Like we don't want to affect his confidence. I thought he was good. Yeah. I, I thought he was good for well, what you got. So I asked a question, uh, and was, all, all I think all I said was, uh, I said, yeah, what do you think of DJ Thomas? Um, not a great first half, but got better in the second. Oh, okay. So maybe that was it. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't smash him. No, I, I was actually. In, optimistic or enthusiastic or encouraged by his performance. And by the way, 14 points. I keep yeah. saying 15. 14 points. Can I ask, too, because I mean, you watched that, obviously you were on the sidelines. When I was watching some of them on offense, I almost thought when I was watching it, like, we get it. DJ Thomas is the point guard. But can he play off ball a little bit? Can we do some other stuff? Because it almost seemed like every possession when he was on the floor, it's like, okay, get it to our point guard, and then let's run our offense. When in reality, you know, you can play your point guard off ball a little bit. You can do some other stuff. And it just seemed that there was like a really concerted effort to like, let's run this through him. When in reality, you could probably open it up a little bit more. I think that's where it got because the turnover issue in the first half yeah, kind of made it necessary. Other guys were handling the ball at the top and on the wings, and it was just it was sloppy. They only turned the ball over two times in the second half, so that was a positive. No, I think he's going to be a ball-dominant point guard until – the coaching staff feels like everyone is secure with the ball. Um, Jalen Hill is going to play some point. Uh, and that was the other one. Uh, Jalen Hill, I actually think, can be a lot more aggressive. I think he can. he's a guy who can get downhill and get to the basket. I think he's got to do more of that because the, the shot distribution from the starters wound up being uh, field goal attempts, 6, 9, 10, 11, 9. And, uh, and, and Webster not being hot early. That sort of set a rough tone in the first half because I think he missed his first six or five three-pointers, and then finally splashed them. But the threes he was getting, uh, I would say of those six, five were probably pretty good to wide-open shots. So mm-hmm. that, that's that's a good sign. Yeah. But they lost. So in the end, you got to win games. Um, you can win some positives from this, but they got to play a lot better defense moving forward. We broke down, and we'll put all of this uh, UNLV Run Rebel analysis up on the web, on social media later today. But got to play better defense or – because, Damon, you sent over what? You were worried about who could score? No bucket getters is what I said. Right. Say it with your chest. <laughs> John? So proudly. John? Uh, I mean, I kind of would agree to a certain extent. I mean, do you, do that, you have to have an alpha and uh, who is going to be the end of the shot clock guy? I think so. I mean, look at Harkless last year. 
That was there was a Hamilton lot of time for the two years before that. Yep, like there's at some point, and it's not even like hey, crunch time, whatever. Or like who's going to get the ball? It's just more. There's a difference between having a point guard and having like a shot creator, right? Because when you can create shots, then you start to have a gravity to you, and then when you start to have a gravity to you, then it opens up the floor for everybody else. And I think that's where you need somebody to create those shots, a, a bucket getter, if you will. Halfway point of the show, we're heading into Thursday Night Football right here on ESPN Las Vegas. It's the Bears. It's the Panthers. We'll get leans and likes a little later on the show with one Brad Powers, our uh, professional better handicapping expert. Real better, too. Real better. John Von Tobel's here. It's Cofield. Come on as well. We probably talk way too much media critique on this show, but we love it. I think there are lots of fans who are into this and maybe maybe we're looking at social media too much which is a freaking minefield for writers and broadcasters because they get smashed up there but you know I'm a hundred percent behind the eventual use of Tom Brady on TV supposedly he's got this 375 million dollar 10-year contract that I guess he's going to start next year must be nice and when it was announced I was like this is awesome I think he's going to be great I think you got you guys all said no. Nope. I think he's going to be boring. I think he's going to stink. I think he's going to say nothing. I think he is going to be bland. A popcorn fart. Nothing. No substance. How about this? Here's a good test, Steve. 4 a.m. to media. You got a podcast. You got a show. Josh McDaniels, currently you know, fired head coach, former head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. Tom, tell us what you feel. What happened with Josh McDaniels? Why are these players so much happier without him in the locker room? There's a lot of different, you know, I've seen a lot over the years and, and there's a lot of different reactions from different people. And I was never a part of a season where we're in that situation as a team, but a lot of teams are. Change is obviously happening every single week. Injured Daniel Jones tore his ACL, you know, it, against the Raiders yesterday and coaches now, you know, are gone. So it's just, you've got to be able to adapt and adjust and move on. And the people that step in in those places, then they got to go out and they got to put, it's not like all the problems get solved when something like that happens. People are making changes. And when a player leaves, coach gets fired, something happens to a family member and you've got to adjust in your personal life. You've just got to continue to adjust and adapt the best way possible. And, you know, look, there's people that are still out there. You're on the battlefield. You're still out there going after it. You're still out there playing. And Say you've something! You've got to keep fighting to the end. And that's... That's what a true professional will always do. He'll show up and he'll give it his very best no matter what because the reputation of a, of a player to his teammates is very meaningful. I don't believe he was asked directly about that. I, I lost was five he, pounds was from he, that was word salad. Did line. they directly ask him about Josh McDaniels? Yes. That is crazy. He said nothing. One more needs to be said. <laughs> well, I'd love to see the lead-in question. Because I wanted to blame Jim. He was that. Why are the? Why does it seem that the players are so much happier in the locker room? Well, Daniel Jones tore his ACL, so it's like, what? Where did that come from? But you got to talk about what you know about, and he's never been a part of a coach getting fired. <laughs> well, that was the other ridiculous statement. Tom, first off, we know. Second, you got a coach fired. Bruce Arians is in the front office because of you. Uh, I think he resigned. <laughs> <laughs> he said nothing. Um, what will? What annoys you more? Listening to that question about Josh McDaniels, and that's Brady's answer, or this headline, Tom Brady opens up about Raiders' Josh McDaniels firing on latest podcast. 
The headline's pretty bad, too. Yep. Because it's the reason I clicked on it. Yep. It's why I'm so mad. Because yep. I was like, oh, he actually said something about this. Let's listen. And then I listened to that. I wait, What was that? The this lead. is the problem with media today. The lead. Tom Brady had a say on how the firing of Josh McDaniels as head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders will have impacted the locker room. No, he didn't. Not again. Um, are you sure? Well, now, <laughs> That's now, what I'm now, now, now I have to go listen to it. Because if he answered that way, if that was really a direct question about why they're happier without McDaniels, and that's the answer, and then Jim Gray, who's on this, didn't follow up and go, you did not answer. McDaniels, go. Jim, uh, excuse me. Use his proper title. Don't ever call me Jim. (laughs) Well, no, not even that. Actually, that too. Uh, Use his proper title, though. Jim Gray, advisor to Mark Davis. Yes. Yeah. Raiders advisor. Just like I'm the Raiders insider. Very deep in my knowledge. Um, if that's real, that's a nightmare. I trust you. Yes. That's what I'm saying. He's going to stink. Okay. Because part of that, too, is because this is part of the thing with these guys, too. You want to conserve relationships, right? You, like, you don't want to ruffle any feathers. So you don't really say anything, especially when you're so fresh out of the league. That's why these old guys always say stuff. They don't know anybody. So then they start crapping on all these players. Maybe 10 years, Tom Brady will be fun. He's like, well, back in my day when we played football, played it the right way. But now... He's going to say nothing. So if you're a TV exec and you're paying him $37.5 million a year, do you have the stones to talk to him? Like, you don't have to scream at him like you yes. were, but be like, Tom, I'd scream you're never him. going to be good at this if those are the kind of you, – you can't ride the fence. Yes. I mean, we're not asking you to slam Josh McDaniels. At least mention him in the answer. No, you would talk to him. Because guess what? You might have been the goat on the football field. This media, this is a whole new world. So this is something different. So just because you were great there doesn't mean you're great here. I want you like Troy Aikman. Make up fake nicknames about guys on the broadcast. That's what I want. What did he do that? Oh, you didn't see this? No. With um is it was it Quinn and Williams who he called him like the, the richest decoy or something like that? Or he's like, he calls himself one of the highest paid decoys in the NFL. And Williams is like, I've never talked to Troy Aikman. I don't know where this nickname is. Oh, came that's from. awesome. Yeah. I love that actually. <laughs> it was weird. I'll get up the exact quote. But he like he was accused of making Ake- up a nickname. Aikman's just making stuff up now. Yes. All right, so Aikman in the third quarter said that uh, he keeps telling head coach Robert Sala and Jeff Ulbricht, the defensive coordinator, that he's got to come up with some ways to give him some single opportunities so he gets some sacks. He says he's the highest-paid decoy in football, end quote. That was during the Monday night game. Quinton Williams was asked about it, and he's like, I never said that. I've never talked to, to Troy Aikman. <laughs> That's what I need from Tom. Could he have gotten that from Ulbricht? He might have relayed it incorrectly. I mean, probably. It's probably a miss here thing. I got to like, tell you, the, the hubris and arrogance of a lot of these analysts. I heard Phil Sims two weeks ago talking about he made a reference to the Broncos' defense dropping down big time, you know, in the rankings, and they're not playing like they did in the past. And then he followed it up by saying, I don't know why I haven't done the research on why that's happening. I'm like, <laughs> wait, you just said that? I love I it. want to do it. Yep. I, hey, I'm going to. Hey, full disclosure, just spitballing here. I just, I just don't care to even follow, you know, really read up on it. It's for you guys, the audience. It's a great, dude. It's a great way to make a living. Think about how nice his life is. You don't have to do research. Just do you think someone? Up. Do you think someone walked up to Phil Sims and, and was like, "Did you say you didn't have time to do the research? Like, why would you even say that?" No, but that's the thing, and that's why if no. dude, if I ran media today, that's what I'm talking about. Because you get this sense, like, oh, he's a, he's a former football player. I can't say it. yes, you can. You can be criticized, my friend. You stink at media. You see these two rings? That's what he says to you.
On the way back, we got some audio for you. You, If you're a Raiders fan, you should be thrilled with this because clearly the Jets just have no intention of really trying to win down the stretch. And I'm, I'm, I'm locked up on this. They're locked up on making a decision. I don't get what's happening. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio on ESPN Las Vegas. So, John, you aren't on Tuesday's show, but it was infuriating. One, uh, we had some connection issues, so I couldn't really tell while I was across town if Adam Hill could even hear me. Um, but he was really pissing me off. And I don't know if Damon could pick up on it. When I started getting really heated about Zach Wilson, I think Adam went into the mode of, like, not reacting. Like, it's not as bad as you say it is. And that just set me off even more. Like, I wanted him to be along with me, and he wasn't. Because I basically did the same rant I did after Rodgers went down. Like, I saw Zach Wilson last year. I saw him in the, you know, three-plus quarters in the opener. He sucks. Okay? He's a third stringer. It's not going to get better. Tutoring does not help you catch up with game speed. You either have it or you don't. Maybe a little bit of practice you can improve. He's had more than enough time. And so then I'm watching the game against the Chargers – Looks good. And I'm thinking, I I think AOC is better than Zach Wilson. I don't think she could handle the physicality of so the full season. Aiden O'Connell, you remember against the Charger defense, he fumbled twice. He got sacked seven times. Uh, Zach Wilson, and, and really, it's if you watch both of those games, you can sit there and go, watch Zach Wilson take a snap, right? Mm-hmm. And then go, one, two, three, out, 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 out. The outs are throw the ball. That's all the time you have. And he would just hold on to the ball. He doesn't – the only time their pass game works for the Jets is it, it, it has to be that three count, and it's got to be something quick to the side or over the middle. Other, after that, he just gets scrambled and he can't see the field. It just – it's not going to happen. I mean, I watched the quarterback complete 67% of his passes for 263 yards. Sounds like a starter to me. Huh? What? Zach Wilson. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's a good stat line. Starter material. Almost 70% completion. He stinks. It's not working. 263 yards on 49 attempts is crazy. No, it's, not, <laughs> it's, not, it's not working. Because you're right. Everything uh, – I think early in the game, I, yeah, I looked up and it was like 5.8 yards per uh, catch. He finished with 5.4 yards per attempt. It's ridiculous. Right? Only thing works are short passes. And then he just holds on to the ball way too long. Okay, what what is there to figure out for Robert Sala? Let's listen to Sala. And I I never listened to this because I saw the links, and I'm like, I'm not listening to this defense of Zach Wilson so, anymore. Real quick, before we yeah. play this, did you cut the question, or is it, is it the whole thing? Questions included. Okay, so I will say, because we just talked media and saying things, I will give Michael K. credit here. This is a solid, pointed question to ask a head coach. But things have changed over three years, Robert. You've had different offensive coordinators before uh, the change to Hackett this year, and you've had different weapons around him, and the, the one constant is Zach, and the one constant is last year he couldn't start over over Mike White. So, I, uh, first of all, this, this shouldn't be litigated. Now, I never understood with a, a 39-year-old quarterback why a guy who couldn't start last year was the first line of defense if he went down. You've got Trevor Simeon uh, in your building. Why, why not give him a try? 
No, I got you. No, it's uh, again a fair question, and uh, you know, it's uh, like I said, he, he, I don't know. You got me. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna plead the fifth on all this one in terms of just uh, I've I kind of explained it, you know, yeah. respectfully, obviously, but mm-hmm. but it's a va- they're valid questions, but and I know and I know from the, from a passionate fan from from fans who are passionate all having the same questions, I respect it greatly. Um, you know, but it's I, I've got to look at it from a global standpoint and uh, and just see where we are and uh, and look at the all twenty two the best I can and and make the decisions best as possible. So. Just go to break. <laughs> that was, was terrible, awful. What is a global standpoint? Yeah, the glad. What is that? What does that mean? Who got the better answer, Tom Brady about Josh McDaniels or Robert Sala about Zach Wilson? At least Brady said something. He spun us in a circle of BS. Can I, a global standpoint? Can I for the decision? We know there's. We kind of know what's happening here. Can I play devil's advocate for a second? Yes. Is there a shot that he just wasn't listening? Like he just didn't hear the question. He just was like he like he was doing the dishes or something. Maybe. And like he didn't hear it. All he heard was the end of it. It was a long question. Right. And so he was just like, uh I blanked out. I don't know, man. Uh, I don't know what you want me to tell you. I've learned if you if you don't hear the question, don't try to fake it. Because you look, if that's the case, he looks bad. I uh, there was. It's funny. Last night on the uh, UNLV game, I, Matt never was about to ask me something, and I'm I'm sitting there and I'm like, crap! I didn't hear. I was looking at a stat or something. I didn't absorb the previous eight seconds, and then he circled back and actually specified what he was going to ask about. I was like, thank God, because I was going to have to say on on the air, like, wait, repeat that. <laughs> Which I think Salah heard it. I think he's being overruled. And I think he's trying to be a good soldier. Now, why the brass with the Jets is so freaking insistent on Zach Wilson playing, I don't know. Oh, you know. If that's the case, you know why. It's arrogance. You don't want to be wrong. But how can you do this to a season? How how do you just – because if you were throwing away a season, then win three games. Sure. But you're throwing away a season where you're going to win seven when you could have won ten? Sometimes arrogance gets you, man. I'll put it this way. We talked about this. uh, I was on on VEASAN. Uh, We talked to Mike Sanford Jr. about the Alabama quarterback situation. Remember that USF game where, for some reason, Jalen Monroe didn't play, and he didn't even get a snap, and they were awful. I remember what you said. Yeah, and and my theory was, and you talked to Felder about it, my theory was that he got suspended. Sanford's theory and and the growing theory for that game was Saban told his staff, all right, you don't think Monroe's going to be the guy? Let's play your guys, Tommy. Tommy Reese's offensive coordinator. Let's see what your guys have. And they went out there and they were awful, but he risked the season in a terrible game to prove a point. And then in the locker room later or whatever it was, told them, don't you ever question me again. Some people do that for arrogance. And now it was truthful. It was correct arrogance on Saban's part. But sometimes people do weird things for arrogance. By the way, the betters, and I'm assuming this is – do you know why the, the Jets number against the Raiders move? From Jets favored, slight favorite, to now Raiders one. I would assume there is some injury news that I did not see. Okay, I mean because you know, what was it one to one, right? It's not a big flip, one and a half to one. Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's not a massive flip to go through. Zero I, I think that's one. the that's where this line should yeah. be. The Jets should not be favored. I'm I'm actually expecting the Jets the next couple of weeks. Like that was another rock bottom moment where they're like, we have no shot with this guy. Like how disheartening is that for a defense every week? 
to go out and, and watch that when you're doing yeoman's work. They held Herbert to nothing. They held the Chargers down. It's just, it's freaking, it just breaks you mentally. I don't think they're going to play a good game out here against the Raiders.